0: Welcome to Off Code, the show where we ignore the cultural codes and have real and intriguing conversations regarding the Black community and ways we can move forward to human flourishing.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Off Code. I am Monique Dusan.
0: And I am Kevin Briggins. And uh, this is episode six. And I'm really uh, excited to dive into this topic because I think it's probably one of the most pressing topics of our day, of our time. Um, we also have our first returning guest, uh, Dr. Tucson Adams, uh, will be joining us uh, again this week on, um, on Off
2: Code. So, Dr. Adams, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you for having me once again. Must not have done too bad last time. Uh, bring me back. <laughs> I don't <remember> before. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I now. thank you
1: for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Um, and I just want to give a little a little heads up and um, just personally why I think it's an important topic. Because I work in the space of critical race theory and critical race theory within many churches, one of the things that I've started to ask is how much of this is critical race theory versus how much of what I'm seeing in many Black churches is, or even outside of the Black church within Black communities at large, how many of this, how much of this is actually black liberation theology? And so I've done some reading of James Cone and, um, Paulo Freire and, you know, not, he wasn't a black liberation theologist, but just looking at where some of these ideas come from and wanted to have a larger conversation. And Kevin was hyping you up and said, you know what? I got the person once again. And so super grateful for you to be back um yeah so go ahead kevin you can take it away
0: yeah so i'll say i've never been wrong so no pressure doc don't, <laughs> don't let me be the first time i've been wrong Oh man. <laughs> um but no this this is a very very important topic for some of the, the reasons monique pointed out um and that is we see a lot of Um, The implications and the historical implications of black liberation theology in our church and in our culture. Um, Can you just kind of give us a definition and a history of black liberation
2: theology, like where it came from?
1: Yes, break it all the way down.
2: Oh, man. I mean, I I would just say, you know, for black liberation theology, if we're we're talking about liberation theology, then we're going to end up in Latin America somewhere. So I I don't know if we want to go back that far. But, you know, as it as it's pertaining to, you know, um, as it pertains to the black church, there's probably no more important figure than the one that uh, Mr. Son has already mentioned, which was James Cone. So James Cone, for all intents and purposes, is the father uh, of black liberation theology. And so, um, I mean, his influence is, is wide reaching. I mean, you cannot talk about uh, black liberation theology without talking about James Cone. And so, um, I mean, you're in the 60s, 70s, uh, somewhere down in there and, uh, James Cone writes, you know, which what I think is probably his magnum opus to, to really two works of black liberation Uh, a a black theology of liberation and then a black theology and uh, black theology and black power. And so if you're um, looking for a definition, you know, I think it's helpful just to have James Cone define what liberation theology is for us. And so James Cone states that liberation theology is survival theology. And so to to understand what it is, first understand that, that it is is survival theology. And he goes on to say it's survival theology which seeks to provide uh, the theological dimensions of the struggle for black identity. Um, the role is, is essentially uh, to, you know, do anything that the community believes is necessary uh, for its existence. So it's it's really, a, you know, it really isn't a, a by any means necessary kind of theology. But, but what's also contained in James Cone's definition of Black liberation theology, which I think is probably, you know, the best definition that you're going to get. I mean, him being the father of Black liberation theology is is other concepts which. Um, which we should have a hard time swallowing, you know, um, one is what he says about truth. And so truth in Black liberation theology is not objective. Uh, truth is subjective. It's, it's really based on personal experience. Um, and then, you know, we see in, in, in defining what this is, that to be Black is, you know, committed to, and, and this is uh, really... You know, and I'm not trying to make this, you know, a motive of anything, but th- this is really where, you know, we get down to the brass tacks. But to, you know, to be black is to be committed, as James Cohn, as James Cohn would say, uh, to be committed to destroying everything uh, this country loves and adores. All right. So black liberation theology is survival theology. Uh, it is a theology which uh, tells us to do whatever it is as, as Black people, to do whatever it is that is necessary for your existence. Truth is not objective. It is, it is subjective based on personal experience, your own personal experience, how you have experienced life, uh, particularly as a Black person under the, the power structure or the social structure of whiteness. Uh, is is how Cone would would, would later on, you know, uh, elaborate on on this definition, and then um, and then then this aspect of destroying everything this country loves, you know, and adores. So, as I'm reading Cone and I'm taking what he says and I distill it down and I just put it in a nice, neat little package and put a bow on top of it. I would define Black Liberation Theology, in a succinct way, based off of what Cone says, uh, as a theology that is a seek and destroy theology.
0: Mm.
2: So it, it, it's a it's a seek and destroy. So so Christ comes to seek and to save, Black liberation <laughs> theology says, seek and destroy. Mm. You know? wow. And so um, and, and these, these yeah. are his words. You know, what I'm saying like so this is mm. not you know this is not what I'm I'm not making this up. You read it and like within the first you know 20 pages of of, uh, of uh, theology, a black theology of liberation. These are his exact words.
0: Yeah. Um, I think um, that, man, that that was, you point out a lot of good things, but the, what stood out to me was, it's kind of what Mo, Mo said in her intro is very highlighted in what you said of Cone, and that is the uh, relationship between the social uh, critical justice theories and Cone, and Black liberation theology, and how they both come from the same foundational belief, and that is the ideas of Karl Marx, of what we would call Marxism
1: break it all the way down y'all see i be saying this stuff I, I i always be talking about this i'm gonna sit back and let y'all break it down so i'm not the only one that saying. <laughs> go
0: ahead but no i just think it needs to be said because we're gonna you know really get into mm-hmm. this but i don't think most people really understand um where ideas come from we just kind of take them we were born into them and it just kind of becomes the normal thing And so we hear black liberation theology, we automatically think, oh, this is something that is black. When in reality, it started in Germany. It is the ideas of Karl Marx. It is the oppressor and the oppressed framework. And the reason that it is a seek and destroy uh, theology is because that is exactly what Marxism is. That is exactly what uh, critical sh- social justice is no it, it deconstructs it tears down it doesn't build anything it simply destroys it and so um i think that's what we have to really be aware of when we're talking about black liberation theology is understanding where the ideas come from and kind of like with critical race theory there was already a thing that existed called critical theory and they threw race onto it just there was already a thing called liberation theology and he took it and threw black onto it. So something existed before the black, right? Something existed before it was race theory. And so once you get past the black, once you get past the race, you say, okay, what is this thing that they've taken and adopted to our cultural context? That's when you go down and like, Oh, this is Karl Marx. That's all this is. And so can you, can you break down kind of, um kind of what is Cone's motives in this? Like what brings Cone to adopt this this framework and to and how did it become so popular within black church and black culture?
2: Yeah. Uh I would say Cone was striving to uplift the Black race. You know, I would say, you know, he he states uh uh you know several times that black is beautiful. Um, uh, God loves our beautiful black selves, you know, so, I, th- you know, what he's attempting to do is uplift, you know, the black race, he's attempting to uplift his people at the same time, he's also attempting to tear down a, a power structure, black people, you know, as you just stated, uh, Kevin, black people are the oppressed, um, uh, and you know, whiteness or, or white people are the oppressors. And so anything that smacks of, of whiteness needs to be, you know, destroyed in order for black people, you know, to flourish. And I think that's something that, that you hit on, you know, right from the very beginning, when you talked about Karl Marx and, you know, where all of these, you know, where these ideas are coming from. uh, One thing that's lost on a lot of people is that black liberation theology is in a lot of ways, European theology. So, so you got, the, the people that that James Cone is is quoting Paul Tillich, you know Rudolf Bultmann, uh, Schleiermacher, all of those individuals. I mean, those are German theologians. Those are uh, those are white guys, you know. Um, and then he develops this this framework uh, of theology, which is an attempt to uh, again to to uplift the black race and tear down, you know, uh, oppressive power structures.
1: Mm. So you're trying to tell me that the black theology. It's really just white theology warmed over. (laughs) Make it make sense. Uh, Make it make
2: sense. I I don't know if I can make that make sense. You know, um, you know, yeah, it's it's definitely derived. I mean, Tillich and Bultmann and the rest of them, like, this is where these ideas are being drawn from. Yeah. I mean, and he's leaning heavily, he's leaning heavily on these German scholars in order to make his, make his uh, black liberation theology.
1: Well, sookie, sookie Now I'm gonna have to think about that for a little bit. <laughs> I wanted, um, I really want to quickly just, just kind of bring it home for, um, for people who are like, well, how do I know if I'm hearing Black liberation theology? Mm. So I'm gonna start out, and if y'all got anything to add, please let me know. But, um. One of the things that that I think people can hear within Black Liberation Theology or from Black Liberation Theology today is this idea of separate gods well that's that's you know we got black Jesus that's that white Jesus that was one of Cohn's foundational um tenets is that there is this this black and white or when you um and y'all I, the black church. In many Black churches, this conversation of the exodus is always present. He brought me out. Won't he will bring? bring you out? You know what I mean? Like there's this conversation of always coming out. So I don't know. That's kind of what I think about when I think of like some of the, the ways in which we see him showing up in bits and pieces or the idea that, um, As a black community with like within the church we always are struggling against the white person and the white oppressor that we can't trust the white church down the street i don't know if y'all hear that or or maybe that's just me
0: yeah no i mean i would definitely say that is uh very prevalent in I mean, I was having a discussion this morning with somebody on this same thing. Like it's the framework of black versus white, right? And so once once you adopt that framework, then we just you know everything becomes confrontational between what is black and what is white. What does it mean to be black, right? And we're gonna, we can we can see that in even the conversation of, well, if you don't think this way or you don't hold to these things, then you are not black. In other words, black is not the color. Black is the ideology itself. And that's what many black people don't even realize they're, they're, they're spouting is this ideology. And so to be black means to hold to this line of thinking. Right. And so, um, and to be white means to hold to, uh what they would view as as whiteness as what what you know doc said of they want to destroy anything this country loves right and so anything that is deemed to be what they would say is white they would lump it in as whiteness it's something that is bad even if it's something that is biblically good they would say Mm -hmm. that it is bad because it is tied to this thing that they call whiteness and something can be bad and they will say it is good because they have tied it to this thing they created called blackness right mm-hmm. and so i really think that is where the struggle comes because in our previous episode doc you broke down eisegesis versus exegesis right, right? And, and with with cone's way of viewing truth he was taking the bible and doing a lot of eisegeting he was doing a lot of reading in reading the black struggle into scriptures reading the black struggle into jesus right instead of uh, reading the scriptures and taking out what scripture is saying there was a lot of reading into and from my understanding that is really how we got the idea of black liberation theology where jesus becomes made almost in, in, in our image because it, it makes us look good. It makes us feel proud to be black, right? God is black. God is, and, and God is with the oppressed. Jesus was oppressed. Therefore we are oppressed. We are like Jesus. Right. And it gives us identity. Um, and I, I know I've, I've been talking a lot, but I just came into this thought that has always been on my mind is when we make black synonymous with oppression, right? Then Mm. we always will seek to be oppressed, right? How do we not be oppressed and stay black? If blackness is oppression, is, is to be black is to be oppressed. And if I'm black and I'm proud, then I always got this cloud of oppression over me that I carry, right? It's almost a badge of honor that I'm oppressed because I am black. And so I see that a lot in our society today and our discourse today of the continuous uh, redefining of what it means to be oppressed, the continuous redefining of what racism means um, and the continuous need to keep the struggle going as, uh, as, as Cone would say is a theology of struggle. Right.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I, I've said a lot I need I guess I need to ask a question. Um, yeah. Can you, um, kind of talk about how, what is Cone's view of, of the struggle, right. That, you know, we continuously see
2: what, what, how does he kind of lay that out? I mean, in a very, I mean, we're behind the eight ball. <laughs> I, mean, <basically, laughs> it's not, I mean, I don't know another way to put it. I mean, you know, um, whites are going to have the the upper hand you know on us and that again that that is uh you know we're under we're underneath that uh, that oppressive you know kind of structure you know we we're we are we're not taught that that black is that black is good you know we're taught we're, we're taught that black is bad and so we need we need to uplift we we want this dignity you know that is that is brought back and so you do have those concepts again and this has already been mentioned i don't know what more i can add on to what you just previously said you know the fact that god now becomes black and jesus becomes black you know is um you know is pretty much is is pretty much cone taking his his view of blackness to its most furthest extreme or perhaps you know in his thinking uh the most logical conclusion like everything everything needs to be black in order for us to reverse. I don't even, I don't even think this is a, a longing for equality. I think this is a reversal of circumstances to where now black people are on top, you know, of, of, of their oppressors, you Mm know? Um, so I mean, I don't know what, you know, what more I can add on to that. And I don't even think like, you know, this is, again, the Lord has, uh, you know, I I could testify to this man. The Lord has really done a lot, you know, in terms of just sustaining black church. The fact that the institution exists today is a, is a miracle when you consider, you know, everything that it went through. And I'm I'm thinking of guys like, you know, George Lowell or Andrew Bryan or, you know, Anthony Binga Jr. All these guys really were. I mean, in their times. You know, if you read, you know, accounts of Andrew Bryan or you read accounts of Anthony Binga and how you know, his dad uh, escaped from slavery in South Carolina and went to Canada and had his children and he came back and Anthony Binger started a church, you know, Anthony Binger became a pastor and First Baptist, I mean, First uh, yeah, First Baptist Richmond is still in existence today, mm-hmm. one of the oldest black Baptist churches, you know, there. I mean, you, you look at that, it's like, man, you know, it, it it wasn't, you know, it was no small thing. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is something to celebrate. At the same time, there was advancements that were made. So, I, you know, this is the thing where I get kind of lost in, you know, I kind of get lost in all of it because, you know, you have illiterate, you know, slaves in the South that can now read and write. And then they advance from there. And then you have a guy like the guy just mentioned, Anthony Bingo, who is not only uh, a pastor and a preacher, but he's writing, you know, he's, he's, he, I mean, he's bringing, he's really uplift. It's different. You know what I'm saying? It, mm-hmm. it wasn't the same. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's almost like when you, when you read come, we haven't made any advancements, you know, mm. and yes, you know, and, and certainly from Anthony Binger, a, uh, a guy like Anthony Bingo or a guy like Andrew Bryan or George Lau or lot carry, uh, certainly from, from where they were to where I am and the, behind the desk I sit where I'm a full-time pastor, you know, and, you know, and the church provides, you know, for my family uh, and they do an excellent job in, in caring for us. I, I, I don't listen. I don't feel oppressed. I don't know. Like, I, like, I'm trying to feel like, like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not, Th- those guys did pave the way for us and they did yeah. a lot of lay down their lives and blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you can read that in the accounts to to get us to where we are today. You know, the, the, um, the, the push for, again, like you said, the, the struggle theology, a lot of these pastors uh, are living in $500,000 houses and are saying, you know, we struggling and, and I'm saying, you know, it's just, it's a fact.
1: Ooh, here we go.
2: You know, this is not something that, um, that they hide very well. I mean, they taking pictures out in front of their houses, you know, and, and they're nice houses. They live in gated communities. That's, mm-hmm. that's not, you know, that's not, that's not struggle. You know, mm-hmm. like what, what is the, what is the struggle? You know, um, it, I, it looks I, a lot. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry
0: no i think the struggle from what i can tell um because we I mean black people have made enormous strides economically i believe there are yeah. 1.5 million black millionaires in the country right so it's not yeah. like you no know, we're you no know, poor sharecroppers in general right um i i believe it goes back to the struggle for black affirmation, right? Mm. Um, the struggle for black culture to be supreme, right? Or on par, and that's why that's why we we complain about how many Oscar nominations somebody black gets, right? We want to be accepted by the majority culture so bad that is really what the struggle is today, right? Uh, how are we viewed by others? Um, yeah. And yeah, and I, I think um, that is and that,
2: that, that's even oh. a far cry from what Cone is talking. about. Hundred percent. But yeah, otherwise, there's nothing else to really argue. Yeah, like Cone ain't talking about Oscar nominations, bro. Yeah. You okay. know, as bad as bad as the theology is, and I, I do think Black liberation theology is bad theology. You know, for a number of reasons. You know, and I got the receipts. See, so you know what I'm saying, like. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, he's not he's not talking about the the things that, you know, I mean, a lot of the things that that people are talking about today in terms of struggle is extremely trivial, you know, in comparison. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. I would just like to go on record by saying that $500,000 in California will get you a one-bedroom apartment. Well, that's the struggle. Yeah, I mean, when you struggle. I'm living that struggle. (laughs) Okay, please no, let's just be aware no, that some no, of us no, no. are you, in
2: a you struggle. Need to, you need to come to this side of the country because they they eat now here at five hundred thousand mm-hmm. yeah, dollars.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, no. I got cheese sticks and some tortilla strips. That's it. I got I mean, five hundred thousand dollars. Don't do much out here.
0: I got understood. Now that understood. I've
1: said that, go ahead.
0: <laughs> but no, I, uh Doc, I'm gonna ask you this: Do you think the fact that we that we make such a big deal about some things that are so trivial, right? That we claim today to be so oppressed. Do you think it's a disrespect to those who came before us? Who can you really give an example, struggled? Kevin? Can uh, you give an ex-
1: example? Because like, like, because I I agree with you, but I'm just like I want to make sure that we really parse it out. Like, what is the the trivial? Trivial. I mean the,
0: like like the example Trivial. I just gave a uh, complaint about the Oscars. No, hashtag yeah. Oscars so white. Um yeah. representation mm-hmm. within certain elements of society or being, right. you know, um is it's those things that are seen to be the highlight of the struggle today, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to our grandparents and great grandparents mm-hmm. who really went through the true struggles of inequality, the true struggles of being told they were less than being treated right. less than the true struggles of slavery, the true struggles of Jim Crow. Yeah. Do we kind of disrespect what they went through by today being as free as we are, but yet still kind of lamenting as if we are going through what they went through?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my you know, my my father is probably a prime example of you know somebody that that struggled. I mean, his 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 mom, my grandmother, who I never got to meet. You know, uh, Gladys Adams, you know, was ironing clothes and getting ripped off. You know, not even getting paid. She was ironing clothes and washing clothes for white people in Alabama, and you know they you know not even paying her her money and things of that nature. And she's struggling trying to make ends meet. And I mean it. it you know, it, even my dad. I believe I can speak for my dad in this and just from the conversations that he had, I mean, he would mock, you know, that kind of, you know, assertion that you're struggling because you didn't get nominated. Like, that's not, you know, that's not the, you know, that uh, obviously that's not the struggle, you know? So um, to answer your question, I, you know, absolutely. I think that that's, you know, what King, you know, and, I mean, you know, the rest of these brothers that what they what they went through is not this is this is this is not what they were were marching for. You know, the the privileges. You know what I'm saying? Um I mean, I'm talking about like special privileges. Like this this is not this we're we're far away, you know, from that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I mean Yeah, I mean it, it's not we're not comparing apples you know we're not comparing apples and apples
0: yeah you know? yeah so yeah i i'll give an extreme not even an extreme example because it was a normal example so i'm from birmingham alabama now mm-hmm. everybody knows about the 16th street baptist church yep. and that and the bombing yep well there were several bombings and there's an area in birmingham called to this day dynamite hill and it was, mm. the black, it was the black middle class, where the black middle class lived, and, how, and some very important lawyers lived there. And they would get, their homes would get attacked by dynamite. They would, you know, clansmen would drive by and throw a stick of dynamite at their house and attempt to kill them. And so even till this day, if you drive up there, the walls they built in front of the house still exist from, the, from that day. That is a struggle. And that is a struggle that we do not have to go through today. But because our ideologies such as black liberation theology focus so much on the struggle and the identity of struggle being key to who I am, even though we aren't going through the struggle, we have to, we we have to identify with the struggle as our own. And I, I believe that type of mindset Holds us back from truly taking advantage of where we really are in
1: society yeah. today, if that makes
0: sense. Absolutely. Well, it's also I mean,
1: look, think about like for Cone anyway, Jesus is synonymous with the struggle. Yeah. Jesus, you know what I mean? Like when we look back at the Exodus and um, God's participation with Israel in the Exodus, black people now become the new Israel to a degree because God is constantly liberating us or when we see that Jesus and his struggle and now, um, and now black people are also struggling and how the struggle is now synonymous with Jesus. And so when all of these things kind of become enmeshed and intertwined within this theology and what it means, one, what it means to be black, what it means to struggle and who this makes Jesus to be, why would I want to give it up? Mm. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to give it up. And then when we, um, and I've talked about this before, you have this multi generational trauma effect, almost like this secondary trauma that gets passed down. And it's like, well, your great grandparents struggled, and your grandparents struggled, and your um, your parents struggled, and you're gonna struggle, and all of this because you're black. Uh-huh. Part of Black Liberation Theology. While I can see, um, you know. Cone's issues within a Jim Crow South and racist societies and his own struggles within his family and things like that, and his own um, issues with, with white people at that time and things like that, why well, I, can, I can see the... Not the reason that he would go that far, but I can see what what could push him there to look for something to uplift Black people. I don't think we also take into account the idea that, like, yes, these these were some people's struggles back, you know, here, and it was a lot of people's struggles. But today, how much is it struggle versus responsibility?
2: Mm. I was getting ready to mention that too. I mean, I got a. Uh, there's a brother that that uh, I have the privilege of knowing. He's one of um, you know, he's one of he's one of the sheep here at Watson. I mean, and this brother is phenomenal. You know, I mean, he cares about the black community. He's in the black community. You know, he's constantly striving. Uh, I, I'll give his minute. I, I'll give his uh, organization a shout out right here. Uh, Amped A M P E D the Academy of Music Education and Production, and he does a lot of things in, you know, the inner city, um, shout out to Dave Christopher, you know, he, he does a lot of things in the inner city. And I mean, and he is really, I mean, he, he, he doesn't make excuses. I mean, that's the thing I love about him, even though he's, he, he's heavily involved in activism. Like he, I don't see these kind of excuses, you know, in him, he, you know, he gets to work, you know, and if you want to do it, like, if you want, really want to make something out of yourself, like he'll, he'll help you. But, but I think the onus has to be on do you want to do something in order to change the circumstance? Cause, cause the opportunity is there for you. There used to be a time where there was no opportunity. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the opportunity wasn't there or the opportunity was, you know, extremely, you know, I mean, I mean, it was scarce, you know, you really mm-hmm. were working, uh, you know, to use this uh, analogy you really were working from behind the eight ball. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you didn't, like not knowing not, where it was going to come from or.
0: Yeah. I was as King would say, it's cruel to tell a bootless man to pull himself up by his bootstraps. Yeah. That yeah, type yeah, of
2: exactly. thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, and again, so I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm having dialogues with with people that are actually out here in the, you know, in the streets and doing the work, you know, um, and trying to make a difference, you know, in the community. And the one thing that I noticed specifically about the gentleman I was just telling you about is you know, if you want to do it, then look, we can do it. Like that, that, that the opportunity is, is, but where's the want to, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I hate to segue in, you know, into this kind of hijack, hijack the show. But one of the things that I think bothers me the most is, I don't know if y'all follow like the, uh the violence in Chicago. So.
0: Yeah.
2: You think about like just the violence in Chicago. I followed that. I, I've been following the violence in Chicago since about 2013 when, a young guy uh, by the name of Lil Snoop, I think he was the first guy that got one of the major guys that made headlines. He was killed. I think, like, he was 17, 18. Young guy. And so I'm like, man, this guy gets killed in Chicago. So I'm just, you know, following his life. And come to find out, I mean, these are all 15, 16-year-old guys with army guns. You know what I'm saying? Like, the guns that the military got out in the street just just wiping each other off the face of the planet in droves. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Do they have to do that? You know what I'm saying? That, that my question is: Do you have like? Do, is is that you know? Is that you know? Did you have any other option? You know. And and the mm. reality is is that we we live in a day and a time where you know you 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 have you you have an like what you said, Sister design the responsibility. You know. you you have the opportunity in order to bring about, to to make a difference. But we, we have swung, I think a lot of times when we talk about oppression and we talk about survival, I mean, look at what, look at what our black kids are doing to each other. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, look at like, Mm -hmm. that, that's not, that's not a, that's not a struggle. That's, that's irresponsibility. You know what I'm saying? Like fathers locked up in jail because they wanted to go rob somebody or, you know, something like, like, uh, you know, fatherhood is out, out the window, and then you have single moms trying to raise, you know, uh, uh, men. You know, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was it just spiraled out of control. That's that's not. Listen, I mean that that's not what <laughs> I, I don't believe. That's what Cone was envisioning. I don't believe that's what King was talking about.
0: It, it really wasn't.
2: Yeah. So. Um, I mean it, Oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say. I'm just gonna. The perspective when you come with, you know, whether it's liberation theology or whether it's critical social justice theories, the issues are always external. The issue is always the system, right? And so there really is no reason to take responsibility because these are things that are simply happening to us, Mm. right? And that is what the cry is for justice. So Chicago is not seen as a internal problem of, black culture and black violence and single parenthood is always can be explained in their minds by outside forces doing things to us, which have caused this. And so there is no agency. There is no, uh, it's, it's a defeatist mindset because in their minds, we're always in the struggle. The struggle right. must continue. And that's where critical, like, I think critical race theory plays a part where it says, racism doesn't go away. It just simply changes or manifest. And so it goes along with what we want to hear anyway. It goes along with the idea of oh well, the struggle is just different now. it just changes now. And so you know it's not what Cone would would want or was speaking to. It's not what King would want or was speaking to, but what they would say is well, racism just changed since their day and now we're dealing with this new thing. It's just a continuation, a way to keep the struggle going even if there is no external oppression oppressive struggle to be had right the narrative must keep on because that's what it means to be black you know
1: well let me ask this question because i hear um i hear you guys saying like this isn't what Combe was speaking to but in looking in reading his works um what do you, what would you like in in just a few words say? This is what Cone was envisioning. Because and I have another question to follow up after that one based on what your answer is for this.
0: Yeah, I, I'll I'll at the
2: doc. What was Cone envisioning?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh few words. Black people on top. <laughs> I mean. Yes. Yeah, just black people I, on top.
1: I would. I would say the same thing. It it seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't this equality thing. It almost was like a retaliation kind of thing. Um, I think it's in a black theology of liberation where he says, oh, maybe it's not that one, but I I could have my books mixed up Um, where he says that black, that white people um, might not even be saved even though you worship alongside them even though the, you know you're in their prayer group and stuff like that he says white people and this is a direct quote white people if there are any to be found he was not sure that white people could be saved um or were saved even if they were participating in um in a you know a local church body and so that leads me to my next question of how did how do you think he saw unity coming about?
2: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin, I'm
1: going to let you go ahead. And uh, I'm just, I, I got questions.
2: <laughs> yeah. You've a really good question.
0: I, I'm going to, I'm going to quote people today who say there can be no reconciliation until there is justice whatever that justice looks like in their mind that yeah. reconciliation and unity was, is not the goal of the movement. Yeah. Um, and this is a key word I will say because it is rooted in the Marxist and it is rooted in, as, as doc said, as to tear down things. It is a revolutionary movement. That's what it is. You know, whether it's liberation theology, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's the BLM movement, it's all about revolution to tear down something and to put something else in its place, and mm-hmm. um, and I think as Doc was saying, you no, know, that that what it is in its place is black people on top. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the the goal of unity was never uh, never really there unless it's in blackness, as like he would white,
2: define. White
1: it. people have to become black for there to be unity. Yes. Well, and let people. me uh, and I'll, I'll um gosh, we'll have to link either in show notes or comments or something like that. But he did say, um, gosh, I want to say it's a black theology of liberation, but he says, um, in that same quote that I was quoting earlier, like in order for a, for a white person to be accepted within the community, they have to first be approved by all the black people within that community. And so that isn't like unity. That that to me, that's a, a foundation of suspicion and mistrust, um, and then a foundation of wanting to change people to whatever your group or community deems sufficient, de- deems good, true, and beautiful. The the standard for the good, true, and beautiful that we find in scripture doesn't seem to be the standard by which he is um, upholding white people. I don't know if you think that's fair, but I don't know. What are your thoughts?
2: I mean, I don't I mean, fair. I mean, this is, I mean, basically this is words, you, you know, you, you have to tear down whiteness and for whiteness to be accepted, white people have to become black that that's, you know, and when I say, when I say you have to become black, like you must identify, with the Black struggle in the sense that Black people, blank check, are right about whatever it is that they say, you know what I'm saying? Quote, unquote, listen to Black voices. Yeah.
1: Become an ally.
0: Become an ally. Right. uh, Right. Confess confess your whiteness and your privilege. All of these different things. Of
1: your Repent whiteness of, and, yes. and privilege.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this you know, as a pastor, I think this is the part that really, really hits home to me when I look over the landscape of the you know, the Christian church. And particularly when I look over the landscape of, you know, predominantly African American churches, you know, um like how Revelation five, Christ, you know, Christ has purchased a people for his own possession out of every nation, out of every tongue, out of every, you know, I understand that my congregation does not look like the neighborhood that we're in.
0: Mm.
2: And it'll never look like the neighborhood that we're in. If we tell the people that don't look like us in the neighborhood that we're in, that you've got to become like, us, not Jesus. You have to become like us Mm. for you to be accepted. Black liberation theology would, would, would espouse that idea. You know, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Here we are. We we are a predominantly African American church here in a community, which is a pretty decent community. You know, and there's all kinds of. I've been out in the community. There's Hispanics out there. There's white people out there. There's Indians out there. A huge Muslim population is uh has developed around us. You know, and so you know they they you know what you know if they came in like what what are you gonna tell them? Like they they have to become they have to become us. That's not the that's not the Christian gospel. They have to. I mean, that, that's, that's not the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are striving, you know, our, our identity. And I understand that. Yes. We are black, but our identity is rooted in, in Christ. Like we are, we are new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and Paul develops this theology better than any other new Testament writer. You know, this union that we have with Christ you know, and he learns this on the Damascus Road when he is uh, converted, right? Jesus saw Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting? Not the church. Why are you persecuting me? Mm. Right? This, he learns this right from the very beginning. That okay, you you can't do anything to the church that you don't do to Christ. Christ is in union with His church, right? Um, so he learns that, and he just develops that that we're in Christ. Our identity is in Christ, and it and it and it's secondary, like like your your and I'm not saying that culture is not is not important God made us how we are for for various reasons all of these different gifts are in the body you know the body is is diverse it's unified but it's diverse and there's a beauty in that' it's, it's a beauty in that diversity and then the unity that we have in christ when when those two things make a marriage and we're using our diversity to further you know uh the kingdom agenda i i I can't espouse a theology that says you must become black in order to be accepted. You know what I'm saying? Uh, by God, you know, mm-hmm. like, and this is what this is. It, Cone was not after and, and from my, from what I'm seeing and what I'm reading and how I understand what he's saying. Cone was not after people becoming more like Christ. Cone was after people becoming more black, you know, um and this is this is evident in in what he's you know in his writings you know jesus do you think that's be sorry go ahead no no, no go ahead finish which, no 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 go ahead i was going to
1: say do you do you think that's because um because jesus is black that or cone espouses this black jesus so it's about becoming black or becoming more black so that you can become more like jesus
2: I mean, think about it. Like Jesus has to become black to be accepted in black liberation theology. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So Jesus is not accepted unless Jesus becomes black. Yes. Like if you have, if you have, yeah. a, if you have a, another Jesus other than the black Jesus, you don't have the right Jesus.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. And that's where you give you no know, black Jesus, white Jesus. Right. Um, yep. Not, not talking about skin color, but by ideology. Yeah. And I and I, I think that is what's really important. So, and that's why we hear today, you know, you're not black if you don't hold to this. Yes. And so you can have white people who are black. And you can have black people who are white. Because right. black and white in those terms aren't identifiable with, with skin color. It right. is with, with ideology. And I think that's what people need to realize when they're reading that or when they hear the terminology of we got to get rid of whiteness or they talk, we got to promote blackness. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily synonymous with skin color. It is synonymous with the oppressor and the oppressed framework from which cone and social critical justice theories are operating from. Um, And I think that's, that's important for us to understand when we hear them say those terms. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So where would you say that black liberation theology lies on the topic of forgiveness?
2: Um,
1: where does black liberation lie on the topic of forgiveness? Um, so I know that's a, just a question out of, out of nowhere, but it just made me think we were talking about all this other stuff. So now I'm like, well, wait a minute. Don't do we forgive?
2: Yeah. I often find myself asking, um, that question in different like ways. And, and, and what I mean by that is could, can you ever do enough? Mm. Like, Mm. like, 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 could, could, could a white person ever do enough? Mm. I mean, could I, could I say sorry enough? Could I ever, could I ever pay you enough? You know, could I ever, you know, like, like how far do I have to go for us to make up this great chasm that exists between, between you and I? Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the kind of forgiveness that you're finding, you know, in places like Isaiah chapter 25 or in Colossians chapter two, where you know God is saying, you know, your offenses against me, I've thrown them into a sea of forgetfulness, or what mm-hmm. the psalmist says when he says, you know, your sins have been removed as far as the east is to the west. Those are the furthest two distance. they never meet. So God has God has pushed our sins, you know, out to the furthest extreme to where they never never meet mm-hmm. again. Um, and God, when He forgives, it's 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 full, it's free, and it's final. You see what I'm saying? It's like and and the offenses against them are way I mean are way worse. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. these are eternal no crimes. And, and 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 forgiveness in Black liberation theology seems to suggest almost that. I mean, you you really have to cease to be. Blackness is ontological, right? It's like it's the concept of of being is, is what Cone would say. you have to cease being you. like you, you have to cease being you in order to make up this great chasm that exists. The offense is so great that you you can't afford to stay you. Mm-hmm. You, you, you must I don't I, I don't even you know re- to be honest, I don't know even how to answer that question because I I find myself asking, you know, we could, could, could someone ever do, do enough, you know, to, to, you know, to be fully forgiven from, from blacks. It's almost as though we have a standard of um, we have a standard of offense that's higher than God's standard. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. like God, God's standard. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, I hate (laughs) the waxing, uh, theologically now to, now to introduce that great, uh, theological poet named Rick Ross, uh, who, who entitled, <laughs> you know, who, who said like Rick Ross said, uh, you know, he entitled one of his albums, God forgives, but I don't mm. like that. You know, that that's, I, mm. you know And I, and I'm often wondering, is that, is that the standard of forgiveness? Is that the standard of forgiveness within black liberation theology? God, mm. God forgives, but I don't, you know, you, you mm-hmm. got, you got, you got to do more for me than you did for God. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, mm-hmm. wow, Man, that's that's a good point. That is a a really that good is point. Good. Um, I want to bring something more current to our day and ask your opinion on how liberation theology plays into this. So, we recently got our first black female Supreme Court justice, and there were a lot of clips in churches of people praising this thanking God for this, Um, a lot of liberation talk, a lot of making her synonymous with Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Like there were some things that were so over the top about her nomination to the Supreme Court. Is, Is there a connection? Because this is what I say from the ideological standpoint, she is black and not just her skin color is black because Clarence Thomas is a black Supreme Court justice, but he's not black because he doesn't hold the right ideology.
1: Clarence ain't black. Mm -hmm.
0: No, she is black because she holds the activist mindset, the black ideology mindset. Do you think that black liberation, that idea of being liberated, God liberating us and pitting us up high, is the reason we've seen so much praise and adoration for, disappointment in her achievement
2: Hmm. um yeah i mean you know absolutely man i mean i understand this too and i know we kind of run out of we run short on time but i also understand that uh within black liberation theology not enough was done for uh black women so so cone gets critiqued later on because he didn't say enough about you know black women and so within that is is this almost this uh it's not just a deification of of black blackness, but a deification of of black women, you know. And so what what you're seeing when you see demonstrations like that um, in churches and uh in some of in some of these black churches, what you're seeing, you know, is the logical conclusions of, of Cone's theology that black is is beautiful, black is black is divinity you know um again god is black uh so blackness is equated to being divine and so it it would make it would make sense you know in accordance with that theology that that she would be you know a a worship service almost an entire worship i mean a worship service will be conducted in praise and honor of of not not of what christ has accomplished but you know of this uh, of of this black lady, what the the heights that she has ascended to, that this would the uh, you know worship would take place in a church, you know, for that like that. I mean that that is the I mean again that that is the logical outworking of black liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you mm-hmm. like um, there's a book by Kane Hope Felder on uh, African I think it's called um, African American Biblical Interpretation. And you you see something like the black uh, black sisters or the the black ladies like uh, Renita Wings, you know these liberal scholars writing articles and you know and you hear some of these perspectives and it it is you hear almost like this deification of not just blackness but but now you know Cone didn't say enough about women women are black blackness is here women are women are up here
0: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
2: we we birthed all of this the all this you mm-hmm. know all this came from from us you mm-hmm. know and so. Yeah, so when Ketanji Brown is celebrated in that way, with not not you know not in some you know chamber of commerce, but when she celebrated that way within the context of a local church, um, it is the logical outworking of, of Cone's theology when you read womanist theologians.
1: Mm. Mm. That's good. That good. It, I mean, it's helpful to be able to connect those dots. You know, I'm not even sure how many people know about womanist theology.
2: Yeah, but. I'm- it, yeah. it's,
1: it's helpful to know that, you know, Cone was here with Black, but from there you get womanist theology, you get queer theology, like there's so many things that also have this liberation component. When it's like Kevin was talking about earlier, it just depends on the, the adjective, you know, that describing word that you put um, on on in front of that theology, Right. You know, so what is the the queer theology? What is the womanist theology? What is the Latinx X theology? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how it, does it how does that theology liberate?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. All those things haven't come, and they're built on the oppressor oppressed framework. Right. And the goal the goal is liberation from oppression in all yeah. of those frameworks. No matter how you, no matter what you put in the in there in the, it's, it's shake it up. It's the same. It's the same things. You know. Right. It's, it could be race, it could be sexuality, it could be gender, it could be anything. Yeah. You know, it's all the same thing. You
2: know, but you know, I, I know we, I know we're out, of, I know we're out of time. But I just want to say this, especially for the for the audience, uh, you know, that's listening in. You know, Cone got this because you know he he denied, you know, he had to deny the authority of Scripture in order to get this position that he that he has. I mean, he denied a number of essentials including the gospel itself. Um, But I think the major, the fatal flaw in liberation theology and what, if imbibed by the church, the fatal flaw is that you have to jettison the scripture in order to arrive at these positions. So God no longer has the right to speak in some of these churches uh, because they've gotten rid of the authority of God's word. And so, you know, They would affirm, like Cone would affirm, the existence of Scripture. Or Black liberation theologians, uh, many of them would affirm the existence of Scripture, but the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture uh, is something that they would not affirm. You know, um, um, you know, I mean, I, I could, I could give some examples, but, but you know, Cone, you can go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I mean, I read an article by a guy. and, and basically, he took Paul's, and this is, a, this is African-American, this is the book I just mentioned about, you know, African-American interpretation. I think it was Dr. Thomas Hoyt, who was a New Testament scholar, and he's writing about African-American biblical interpretation. And so he, he basically takes what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul is taking the ethic of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, or oh, is taking the uh, teaching on marriage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and, and really is just, um, you know, Paul is expanding that teaching. You know, he's taking what Christ has stated. And if you look at the the paradigm, you know, Christ talks about single, and then he talks about, you know, marriage, and then he talks about children. That's the paradigm of Matthew chapter 19. Uh, you know, where Jesus is talking about marriage, and you could, you could tell if you just read first Corinthians chapter seven, you could see that Paul is merely expanding the argument of Jesus under the superintending powers of God the Holy Spirit. I mean you could see that. And so some some at, at I think it's first Corinthians chapter seven verses twelve, Paul says, you know, it's not, you know, I, I'm giving you this word. Uh it almost sounds like he's saying that this is from him and not from God. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. know in this particular moment that he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even though he is. So, so even when he doesn't know whether or not this is from the spirit, the spirit is superintending the process. Well, Thomas Hoyt says, well, Paul used, you know, his own, uh, you know, it, you know, he he used his own ability to make decisions and things like that. So that's the way we should interpret Scripture. You know, mm. um, the Paul said he didn't know what, it, you know, he gave his own opinion at times, and so if if mm. if if that is what the apostle Paul did, never mind the fact that he's, that God is that the spirit of God is the one that's superintending the process, you know, never, never like, forget that. If that's what Paul did, then we too can give our own opinion about matters, which gives you the subjective nature of, of, of truth within, you know, and Thomas Ford is obviously pulling this from black liberation theology, right. Cain Hope Felder is in that, in that vein, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, you know cohn would say God is not the author of the Bible. Like like he he said that. Like God is not God is not the author of the Bible. You know, and then he says the author doesn't matter. So when you say that God is not the author of the Bible and in fact the author doesn't matter since God is the author of scripture, then you're saying God doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying? And so you mm-hmm. so you're you're taking that you're you're taking that kind of ideology And you're saying that you expect something good to come out of that, something that is good for the church to come out when you sit in judgment on the scriptures. Or when you say, you know, when you cast aspersion on the apostle Paul, uh, who at one at some points and this is with the writers of scripture in general, like sometimes they did not know they were writing scripture, you know, which is why, you know, Peter would say in first Peter chapter one, they had to step back sometimes and look into the things, you know, that they had written to see who and what time like this person was coming. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. it, you know, I just, when you when you have a, a theology that amongst other things that has, they have jettisoned essential doctrines, the providence of God, the gospel itself, mm-hmm. Jesus, not as a, you know, not as the savior of humanity, but Jesus as a savior of particularly black people because he's black. And then you have a theology that says, uh, then you have a theology that says, uh, scripture is the, is not even God's word. It's a it's a primary source. It's a primary source for where we can figure out how to, you know, how to survive in the struggle. But but don't think it's the word of God. Mm. And so and, and that that goes out the window. And so you, you get what you have right right now, you know, um, and what's creeped into the black church and the and the uh, the implications of that are obviously catastrophic, I would say. Going back to what you just said, the, the celebration of a Katanji Brown would would have a theology like that with everything that I just said, backing it is the reason why they would not take God seriously enough in that church to say, hey, man, you could celebrate her somewhere else, but not in God's house. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you align with her politically or not, like not not in the Lord's house. Yeah. You know, so. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry for, uh, you know, keeping up one on a tangent, but I, I felt like I needed to get that out there so that people will understand that like black liberation theology does not consider God's word to be God's word. Mm-hmm. It, it, it considers the word of God to be the opinions of man. And yeah. and listen, you I mean, and I think, you know, Kevin has had some exposure to this, even with some, you know, some, some people that he's known that has, have, you know, I would say left the faith. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. It's the word Sa- of
0: God. Sadly. yes, the word yeah. of God means nothing at that point. It gets, it simply gets reduced down to whatever it is you want it to be, right. whatever it is you want it to say. However, it could be beneficial to you in your liberation and your struggles and your can be beneficial to you. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. It's simply, it's simply just a tool. Yep, it's to a tool use yep. for, for yep. your own end purposes.
2: Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, yeah, we, I, I've seen we, it.
1: We are definitely at the at our time marker, but I am going to throw in this one last question and see if you can answer it really quickly. Okay. When people think about Black liberation theology, they usually think about the Black church. Mm. Makes sense. Do you think that Black liberation theology has crept into mainline Protestantism? So like your SBCs, your Reformed, um, maybe your... PCA. I don't know. Just, yeah. Like just some of those just mainline denominations that would not generally be associated with traditionally black churches.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, I mean, somebody that would say it hasn't would be dishonest. I mean, when you look at curriculums and stuff, you know, in seminaries now, you, you see some of these works showing up on the, on the syllabi, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the sad reality is, is that some of the people are not theologically astute enough to be able to discern what is truth and what is not mm-hmm. because it's so susceptible, yeah. you know, you read about struggling, God being for people in the struggle. And that sounds, listen, that sounds good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you end up, you, you end up swallowing everything, the hook line, the reel, the ocean, the the worm, everything, <laughs> wow. because you can't, you can't you can't like, they don't have categories. Some of these, like some, some people, some of these students that are being indoctrinated with this, they don't have the categories to say, you know, this is, uh, I mean, I see what he, what he meant, but look at what we gave, look at what we lost to get this. And I'm not willing to lose this in order to, in order to get this, there has to be a better way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, but absolutely. Yes. It's definitely crept in institutions and the churches i mean it's 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 there i mean anybody that would say nah i no, nah, they, they're they being disingenuous to, at, at the least
0: yeah I, I would just say even from when cone you know recently died the praise that i saw on social media from people yeah. not just black christians but christians right. in general yeah. that had kind of some admiration to say mm. you know about what he's what he's given scholarly to the church in general right mm-hmm. um and I, I it shocked me when i saw how much there was for for him knowing the things he's denied and the things he said you know it's tough. Wow. it is
1: that is but with that gentlemen thank you so much i'm so glad that we got to have this conversation We are at time. Um, We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Off Code. Hit us up in the comments. Like the show. Share the show. Click the thumbs up button. Get the word out there. Encourage your friends to check out out, um, Off Code and let us know what you think. We will see you in two weeks with episode number seven. Bye, guys.
2: God bless you.